Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Frank Zakari, and you are listening to Life Altering Events. Our sponsor today is the Tag Team, which is a collaboration with the Abraham Group, headed by Jay Abraham, the best marketing mind and business builder in the world, who's increased the bottom line for over 10,000 clients by more than $21 billion, and my company, Life Altering Events, who are experts in business and organizational development, as well as finance and scaling of organizations. Now, this is a very elite an exclusive program for entrepreneurs who are looking to make an impact in the world and get the best return for their business. If you think you can make that difference, go to my website, frankzakari.com, for application details. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have all been in a situation and environments that were not in our best interest. It may have been a dysfunctional family growing up, It could have been being bullied at school, a bad marriage or relationship, rejected for a belief or a lifestyle choice. Maybe we had a bad habit or an addiction. All these situations left us hurting, frustrated, depressed, and isolated. Many people are unable to break away from this toxic environment, which leads to the question, why? Now, I spoke to a recovering addict when I was writing my book, Storm Seeds, and this is what he provided an insight as to why. This is what he said. He said to me, we all know that misery loves company. It waits and watches for those who are hurting. It senses the storm seeds in our mind. Misery starts out as your friend. It will gain our trust. It will commiserate with us by watering and nurturing our storm seeds. It will not offer help ever. If we challenge misery and try to move forward, it'll pull us back down. It takes advantage of us. It sucks the very life out of us. Misery's goal is to replace our hope and faith with anger, depression, and despair. Now, my two guests today, Dr. Temple Hayes and Ken Walls, know what this man is saying is true because they lived it. However, they did find the courage to stare down misery. They found support, they rebuilt their lives, and now they both provide guidance and support for others, and they are both contributing authors to a very good book that will be released October 6th called Crappy to Happy. You gotta love that name, right? Let me tell you something about Dr. Hayes and Ken before we bring them in. Dr. Hayes is an author, she's a spiritual leader, and she is a difference maker. She is the CEO of the First Unity Spiritual Campus, which transcends religious denominations and embraces all ethnic groups and reaches beyond national borders. She's also the founder of an online university for lifelong learners and people called to be difference makers through their through powerful leadership. Now, Ken Walls is the CEO of Client Solution Innovation. Now, Ken also is an author. He has his own radio show, and he is also a speaker. After overcoming his own addictions, Ken's mission is to help others have their breakthrough, find their breakthrough. So, Dr. Hayes and Ken, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> I think thank Frank, you. I think we're both waiting to say who's going to say something <laughs> first. Thank you, Frank, and welcome, Ken. It's so good to be with you. <laughs> Thank it you so pleasure. much. I was just being a gentleman and letting, <laughs> letting you go first. Let the lady go first. Good Thank job. Chival- chivalry is alive and well. It still is. <laughs> Dr. Hayes, let me start with you. Now, you were a child of the 60s, and that wasn't the most progressive time in America. When you were 10, your mother was taken away in the story I read. What effect did this have on you? It had to be powerful. Oh, a major effect. A major effect because when something like that happens to a child that's so traumatic, your trust factors are out the door. You know, absolutely. It's like because you don't know who to trust. And the 
the unfortunate thing about being a child is that um, even today, uh, people talk around children like they don't know. Uh, they're not sure what's going on. Well, when they get older, we'll tell them. When the child knows, more often than not, more than the adults do, because they're they're witnessing everything from an observer perspective. So it was extremely uh, traumatic, for sure, um, no doubt. And then just really being in that, uh, it not only was the 60s, but it was in a very small town. They had big hearts, but very small minds. Um, mm-hmm. At that time, people would go, how does somebody travel all over the country? You know, it was just unheard of. So we didn't have meet-up groups and Frank's show. You know, we didn't have things like that, that we could hear information from other places. So we were only as big or knowledgeable as what somebody else would say or what we heard or what, you know, what Walt Disney said, you know, that kind of thing. So um, it was also an area that was uh, deep-rooted religiosity that continues to teach you are broken, um, you count on something else to save you, if your life isn't working, you can blame that, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I I grew up in in the... uh... In the '60s, also, and I grew up in New York State, and it, it was it was it was still like that, even in New York mm-hmm. State. It was it was just crazy, and they and I love the point you made about talking around the child like they don't observe it; they know what's going on, they can see it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, at age 14, you discovered something that changed your life. Would you share this with the listeners? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I um, realized sitting at the movie theater, still remember it, Clint Eastwood's movie, Play Misty for Me, still uh, remember the music. I'm sure you do, too, Frank and Ken. Yeah, I do. The first time ever I saw your face, I felt the sun shining on me. <laughs> I realized that I was having a, an attraction to, um, to a woman um, in a Southern Baptist community. Okay, so that was um, not not something that uh, that was really talked about. But let's let's say that for sure. And so I got carted to the uh, mental health center, and it just triggered all those buttons that happened to me at ten. Oh my gosh, they're going to send me away. They're going to get rid of me. They're going to send me away. Um, it was a definite time in life because there goes those trust factors again. Not let's see how we can support you in this. Let's try to understand it or anything. My grandmother, I went from being uh, one of her favorite loves to her telling me she was so sad she wasn't going to see me at heaven, in heaven. You know, I don't even have a driver's license at that point, and I'm already, you know, being told that I'm going to be in hell. Um, so it was a, a very interesting, dismissive, discounting time. And so what I did, of course, was the I stopped trusting myself. I stopped listening to my intuition. I abandoned myself. I rejected myself. I wanted to fill the hole. I wanted to fill that hole because I was told every week I was broken. Uh, I was worthless. I was born an original yuck idea and all of that that goes with all that whole thing that's just a tape. And surprisingly, in 2020, people that are tuning in right now, they're still letting their kids listen to the same thing. So all that said, um, that I filled the hole. I, I went from being a sugar addict as a child and being given sugar and toast for breakfast to being a sugar craver, through my teenage years of sodas and all the things that are promoted on commercials to then going into wine. And I stayed there uh, in and out for 15 years. Wow. As you're moving forward, you're trying to adjust. You're only 14. You're trying to adjust to this. You're being rejected by your family. They're telling you God's rejected you. And the comfort seemed to be uh, with alcohol. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Now, you're a very spiritual person, Dr. Hayes, and so many fundamental religions seem to be based on fear. And that is, if you don't do this, if you don't live that way, if you don't say these things, then then God is going to reject you and spite you, right? So mm-hmm. growing up in that environment, in the, in the coping mechanism, how did you find your way out? I kept hearing the inner voice say that I wasn't a mistake. I kept hearing... Um, Better voice that I that I was worth it, and you know even with that going on, Frank, I was I was popular in school. I was the president of the student body, 
But the thing of it is, is that I would go out loud as a very um, overt uh, person, right? But then I would mess up or screw up because I didn't want to draw too much attention to myself because no one knew any of my story except my immediate family. So, you know, I'd get a trophy for softball and then mess up in band because I didn't want to be known to be too great in too many things because then people would start noticing me and they would notice that I would be a disappointment like I had been in the light with my family. So it was a self-saboteur, you know, thing that was going on back and forth and back and forth. And that's why it was so hard for, you know, someone to identify or to call me on my alcoholism, even though back then Betty Ford was the only one talking about it, really. Um, but no one would address it because I'd just go and win a trophy. You know, I'd, I'd make it look pretty or I'd make the newspapers for something that I did as far as accomplishments. So it was a roller coaster ride for, uh, for, for 15 years. This airing um, of your show, um, I'm celebrating 33 years of sobriety. 33. Wow. That's quite mm-hmm. an accomplishment. Mm, thank you. Absolutely amazing. Now, Dr. Hayes, in your chapter in, in the book, Crappy to Happy, which you're one of the contributing authors for, your, the, the name of it was Misfit to Mystic. And you wrote a line in there that, that I absolutely love. And it was, uh, to wish upon a star is progress. To know you're a star is evolution. Mm-hmm. Explain how that you evolved into that. It, it's knowing that you're born in your life with a certain purpose and that it, it's undeniable um, that there is this purpose. And more often than not, um, you know, most people, most children that are born are not sent to a mystery school. They're sent in a public education system, which teaches you from the get-go that you are very limited. And so um, to wish upon a star is progress, but to know you are a star is evolutionary, meaning that your life is always evolving and that when you outgrow your village or your tribe, you're always reaching and seeking new people to align with that offer you the opportunity to keep expanding because when you your village is people that are insecure or threatened or intimidated by you, then they're always going to try to keep you stuffed in, um, limited, this kind of thing. Uh, a quick story on that I told at Carnegie Hall last year for the Christmas message is I was sharing that when I was um, – Hi, one time in a bar, I went next door and I got a tattoo. Tattoos when in the 70s were not cool, uh, especially for women. That's right. That's <laughs> and, right. You know, the only people that had tattoos were the people in the military. But um, I got a tattoo. It was a little crescent moon and star. And I, I just thought it was the cutest thing. It was real small. Still, still have it uh, on the side of my arm. And uh, aside from wearing cocktail dress, you know, no one ever really knew it was there most of the time. But my aunt saw it, and and in that same era of time, totally attacked me, said I was going to get it removed off my arm, that it was an Islamic sign, and that I continued to promote the devil. Those were her answers to me. So, okay, so fast track now. At 45 years old, I did a talk uh, at a retreat for people that were seeking sobriety, And as a gift, as me being the guest speaker, a man had gone to this company, Indigo Night, and he had ordered an image, a satellite image, of the stars that were aligned the day that that I was born Mm -hmm. and the city that I was born in. And guess what it was? A crescent moon and star. We are not an accident. We are by design. Uh, We are created in the image and likeness of profoundness. But we have systems in our society that keep people enslaved, impoverished, in bondage, uh, rather than the, the promoting of uh, that. So from misfit to mystic is understanding the dynamics of all of those things. That is quite a story. And I, I read the, the statement about the, uh, the, the, the moon and, and the star uh, in, in one of your reading, one of the things you wrote. And that's impressive. And, and we see so much of this very small minded. They see this and they equate based on what limited knowledge they have or lack of education they have. And then you get labeled and you're stuck with that label. 
Yep. That's too much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're just about at a break here. We're going to continue with Dr. Hayes, and we're going to bring in Ken Walls. I, we're going to get into uh, some of the work Dr. Hayes is doing now. I don't want to uh, start that segment and then have to break for this break. So let's break now. Don't go away. We'll be right back. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome back. My name is Frank Sakari. You're listening to Life Altering Events. Our guests today are Dr. Temple Hayes and Ken Walls. Now, the first segment was Dr. Hayes telling us about her early life and childhood and the things and the pain that she went through and the addictions that she had to deal with. She is now 33 years sober. That is an incredible story, an incredible accomplishment. Now, Dr. Hayes, you started Unity. What is, what is Unity? Explain that to the listeners. Unity was founded in the late 1800s, and it was in the era the transcendentalist movement was coming through, the great thinkers, you know, Ralph Waldo, Emerson, Thoreau, people that were like, be aware when a thinker is unleashed, you know, and it was pushing the barriers of moving people out of just the only way is religiosity, and if you're not part of that club, you're wrong. So it started expanding people's minds and consciousness, and Unity was founded by a couple, uh, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, that Myrtle had tuberculosis and she was told she was going to die by the time she was 40, and she didn't want to believe that any more than I wanted to believe that I was going to be a misfit all my life. And so she pursued things. So through a series of learning, she came to the quest that she did not have to inherit disease, she did not have to inherit these kind of things, that her DNA didn't have to match perfectly and have the same illnesses as her family system. And so she was healed, and she doubled her life expectancy. She either lived to be the eight, late, I think in the late, she was 80-something years old, but they started a movement 
okay, called unity. And unity is, is that you are a child of God, um, that uh, God is inherently good. You are a child of God. You are made of the same image and likeness. You access this energy through prayer and meditation, and you live a model life. It's pretty simple stuff. Uh, the scary part to people is because you're not um, made wrong or to feel less than or living in shame and guilt, they can't believe that that kind of consequential teaching will work. But it's really the laws of cause and effect. If you do good in the world, good comes back to you. If you give out hatred, hatred comes back to you. It's not complicated. You know, life is pretty simple. Um, and so that was, I was invited into Unity when I was 19 years old. And Frank and Ken, I just sat there. I wept. I cried. I didn't want to leave. I signed up for everything because it was the first time in my life somebody said, you are wonderful and you are beautiful just as you are and God loves you. And I told the minister, uh, I said, I'm, by the way, you know, I'm gay. And, and she goes, well, where do you want to go to dinner tonight? And I said, didn't you hear me? And she said, well, in unity, that doesn't mean anything. So I have uh, dedicated pretty much my whole life to bringing people to this awareness of an inward relationship that you have with the divine, that you have with the creator, uh, to move beyond those walls of, you know, what the preacher said and what the evangelist said and what they interpret the Bible said to bring more of a personal awareness. So that's part of my work. We're international now. Uh, We're in many countries, um, and that's what it's all about. I love that story. Um, I grew up Catholic, um, an Italian Catholic, and there was, uh, and the Jesuits, and everything was guilt, 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 guilt. And uh, at some point, I also broke away and said, no, I'm not doing this. Uh, many years later, I'm in a conversation uh, with my brother, who's talking with the Franciscan side of, of the Catholic Church. And they, they made a point, and he said, look, when Jesus was on the earth, who did he associate with? It wasn't with the rich and the powerful and, and the religious people. He said it was with people like my brother Frank. And I said, thanks, Steve. I've had kind of a colorful past myself, but that's the God that I think everyone, that's the version of God that I want I want in my life is mm-hmm. that version right there. It doesn't yep. care. Um, that's accepting. Amazing. I love that. Now, you wrote, you, were, you also wrote, referencing David Dr. Friedman's book, that fear mm-hmm. and discomfort are sensations activated by a trigger, that they are not you. And you gave an example on a plane flight. Would you share that? Absolutely. Um, It's working with those sensations because our experience are just experiences. It's our thoughts and the integration of those experiences that make us or not. And so what would happen to me because of the, the years of, oh, my God, you're a homosexual, oh, my God, you're a a gay person, you're this, you're that, you're that, and just the belief system around that in in the Carolinas. Um, What would would happen is that because, like I told you, I'm extremely extroverted, and I would be out and about. So in this case, I was on a plane, somebody's talking to me, oh, and where do you live, oh, what do you do, and everything, and you know what what's going on and then and then they go oh your husband must be very proud of you and so when that would happen often i'd go um i need to go to work and so i would just shut down you know and the unfortunate thing is that i would never ever really get to open up my heart because i would have this gut feeling of fear um Boing, boing, you know, noise, dang, dang, uh, you know, going off, of not going to like me, could kill me, could threaten me, you know, blah, blah, and I would just shut right down. And so what I learned from David Friedman's work is I learned that that was just a sensation that I was having, that it wasn't real, and that that was something from my past. And so then I would keep on talking, and I would go, I don't have a husband but um, but thank you, and tell me something about yourself. So our hearts would just stay open, you know. And every now and then he'd go, you don't have a husband? i go, no, I, I have a partner, you know, and blah, 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 blah. But I would just keep going. And, and so when we heal those and we're aware of their sensations, we don't really have those experience anymore. 
which is beautiful. You, you, you discount it because it's fear that makes something continue to have power over you time and time and time again. When you're not afraid, it goes somewhere else and lives with somebody else, but not you, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, I love that statement, that fear... Mm-hmm. A paraly- fear can have a paralyzing effect. It can motivate you. Fear can motivate mm-hmm. you. It can also have a paralyzing effect yeah. in how you control the fear, but it's a choice. Fear is a choice, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Hayes, thank you so much for that insight. We're going to pivot over to Ken Walls, who's been waiting patiently for us here. Oh, no, good. Ken, your chapter, you're also a co- uh, contributing author to Crappy to Happy. And your chapter is uh, Power Through Surrender, I think was the name of it. And your opening paragraph was like getting someone getting hit between the eyes with a two-by-four to many readers when they (laughs) read that. Share that story with the listeners. (laughs) Well, I need to look (laughs) – I need to reference what I wrote because I, I write so much, I, I never remember what I wrote. It's crazy. And I'll tell you why I don't remember. Um, I don't know if it's brain damage from all of the alcohol that I consumed over the years or if it's, um, I always say a prayer and ask for guidance before I write. And, and it's like sometimes I'll go back and read something I wrote and, and I'll think, I wrote that. <laughs> I, I don't. But you know, I, I think um, this. You know, it starts off with the the story of 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 my life, and and you know, I I was um, I was raised in a home that had a tremendous amount. Well, I was raised by parents that grew up in the the fifties and sixties, and a stepfather, and and. Um, that there was just a lot of drugs and alcohol and extreme violence. And um, my father had taken off when I was two years old, and but I still remembered him. And I, I just remember always thinking and actually telling my stepfather when he would, when he would, you know, get violent with me, um, my dad will come back one of these days and kick your, you know what? And, and then I'd get, in even more trouble, but, um, you know, so it, it was a crazy, crazy environment. And by the time I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old, I started drinking and smoking cigarettes. And, um, by the time I was 13, I was a full blown alcoholic and, and court ordered at 12 to go to AA meetings. And, um, and, you know, I just had a really, really crazy life. I, you know, I look at it now and, and I understand it a whole lot better. Um, but, you know, back then I was just trying to kill the pain, you know, it was really the emotional and psychological abuse and everything else I was going through. Um, and then, you know, that continued into my adult life until I, you know, at 34 years old, I had a, um, a moment of just absolute clarity, surrender. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of writings about it. Uh, spiritual awakening is what it's referred to quite often. Um, <clears throat> but it was it was I was at the point where I didn't want to live anymore, and I didn't want to die, and I didn't know what to do, and and I just said, I, I actually swore at God. Um, that might make some people cringe, but I, I was like, if you're real, then you need to show your presence because I can't handle this anymore. I can't do it on my own. I don't know how to quit drinking. I don't know how to make the pain stop. And I, and not just my pain, but the pain that I was, you know, I was, I was outwardly expressing my pain to the world, um, especially when I was intoxicated. So, um, I don't remember what the first paragraph was, though. Now I'm going to have to look it up. I'm, I'm interested in reading my story. Well, I'll fill you in on it. You were uh, <laughs> in a bar and had several beers, and it told friend yeah. that I'm ready to start your the job with your company. Yeah. I've given my notice, and that didn't go very well. Yeah, that's right. His name is David, and and I'll tell you, I'll go a little bit further on that story. So this this. 
this guy sits down. That's the day I got sober, so or the last day I had a drink, rather. And that was August the 10th of 2002. Um, but so he sits down next to me and says, hey, I, I put in my notice. I'm ready to start working for you in two weeks. And I, I looked at him, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, he said, you offered me the job the other night. And I said, what job? He's like, you're head technician of your company. And I'm like, dude, I did not offer you a job. I'm downsizing. I'm not hiring right now. And he's like, are you serious? And I go, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I don't remember having that conversation. And I'll never forget the look on his face or the way time stood still in this moment. And that is, he said, you know, everybody around here knows you're nothing but a worthless drunk. Why don't you go get help? And he got up really upset with me and walked out. <clears throat> and I, I just, I remember in that moment, I, and this is where the, you know, I think the, the human ego isn't always a bad thing. Um, sometimes it's a good thing because my ego, whatever part of it, saved my life that day because I looked around this bar and I'm sitting in, in Muirfield, Ohio, which is like part of Dublin. It's the, it's a very wealthy area. Cause that's who I thought I, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to be a drunk. I'm going to be a top shelf drunk and drink only crown Royal <laughs> and the finer blends in life. And, and, and so, um, even though my Mercedes was getting ready to be repossessed. Um, but so, so I remember looking around this bar and I thought, oh, dear God, I hope everybody in here didn't hear that. And I'm looking around. I kind of felt like everybody was looking at me, <laughs> which nobody was. I know it now, but it felt like it. And I was like, I had half, I'd had like, I don't know, six or seven beers or something. I had half a beer sitting there still. And I just pushed it. I took one sip, pushed it away from me paid my tab and I walked out and I went to my, my hotel room because my ex had thrown me out of, of the house for, um, you know, showing up at her best friend's house with a 12 pack and other ideas. And, um, mm -hmm. and which I don't remember that either, but anyway, so I, I, um, I surrendered. I laid on the bed that night and I bawled my eyes out and I said, God, if you're real, I need your help because I can't do this anymore. And that's the moment that I'm talking about when I'm, I'm like, I, I didn't want to live anymore, but I really didn't want to die. I definitely didn't have the, the nerve to, to, to take my own life. Although it crossed my mind about every five minutes in those days. So yeah, that's kind of where, where my sobriety journey began. Wow, great! It's a great story uh, that that you overcame such a such a difficult situation. And uh, once again, like Dr. Hayes, you go back to the family, and that in that environment that you're in, when you're a child, you don't know any better. You don't know, and the environment has a great deal to do with what what you become um, early in life. We're up against another break, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go away. We're going to get into much more depth with with Ken and uh, and his journey, and then we'll bring Doctor Wall or excuse me, Doctor Hayes back in. You're listening to life altering events. Don't go away. Best segments yet to come. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916 718 
5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life-Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have had two just incredible segments, one with Dr. Temple Hayes, and we just started one with Ken Walls, both who have been through addiction, abuse, neglect, isolation, but they found the courage, they faced their fears, and now they are helping others, and they both have thriving businesses and are extremely well-known authors and speakers. Now, Ken, we just ended with you telling your story when you decided, okay, I have to stop this. It's got to mm-hmm. stop. So you make this decision, I'm going to go get help. And so, so many people who make that decision, then, then fear comes back in again. What, what happened as you decided, I'm going to go get help? Well, um, I have this humongous ego. And um, so I, I, I remember, well, I don't remember clearly waking up the next morning and that hotel room, but I thought, you know, I, I, I guess I'm going to have to go to an AA meeting and, um, which I, you know, I had been in and out of AA my entire life since I was like 12 or 13 years old when I was literally court ordered to go to, to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so, um, I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm pretty important. I'm the president of a company. I drive two, have two Mercedes in the house, and I'm, you know, I'm going to have to make sure that nobody sees me walking into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. My gosh! And so I drove 40 miles out of town, <laughs> literally, like is right around 40 miles from where I was to go to an out of town AA meeting where I just knew nobody knew me. And I walk into this meeting, and I sit down. I get a cup of coffee. I sit down, and this guy looks over, sitting right next to me. He goes, hey. And I look at him, and I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) It was a doctor friend of mine that I knew. And I go, go, what in the world are you doing here? And he goes, waiting on you to get here. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. So. You know, and then during, and I just have to throw this in because during that meeting, this is where, this in that meeting is where, you know, God had obviously something bigger than me, some kind of a, a force way bigger than me had been operating in my life for a long time. Um, I just didn't see it and refused to see it. But, you know, I, I it, it was a, a what they call a discussion meeting. So it just like, you know, somebody brings up a topic and everybody goes around the room and talks about whatever. I was the last one to speak. The guy that sat to my left that I knew is the first one to speak. So it just went clockwise, comes to me. It's it's the end of the meeting. And for the first time in my life, wasn't the first time I said, hi, I'm Ken, I'm an alcoholic, but it was the first time I said, hi, I'm Ken and I'm an alcoholic. And I meant it. And, and I, I felt it. I just knew that I was an alcoholic finally. And, and I said, hi, I'm Ken, I'm an alcoholic. And then I had this, 
this huge speech planned out where I was going to pontificate and, and man, I was going to teach these people what life is really about. And we were sitting in this church cafeteria, big cafeteria inside this church, and had these rafters up at the top. And as soon as I started to speak, and I don't remember how many words I got out, but it wasn't many, a bat flies down out of the rafters and starts circling the room and swoops past my head, which, by the way, <coughs> excuse me, is one of my biggest fears, bats. I just, like, I had one fly into my hair when I was a teenager, and they always freaked me out. So this bat flies down out of the rafters, is flying around the room, zips past my head, and everybody's kind of freaking out. I'm, like, ready to start crying, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and pass. And, and so we could end the meeting, do the Lord's Prayer, and get the heck out of Dodge. And that daggone bat flew right back up to the rafters and perched or whatever they do after I said I pass. And I was like, okay, God's trying to tell me something here. Like, why don't you shut up for a change and listen? So, I, you know, that's, that's, that's where it started. That's a great story. Wow! Yeah, I read that in your uh, in your chapter, and, and I and I just had, I started to laugh because <laughs> there's sometimes the strangest things make the biggest impact. Something you would never consider. It's like it, it's a a life changing event. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now I love the title of your book. It's uh, turning pain into profit. Share a little bit of what that yeah. book's about. Well, it's walls of wisdom. Subtitle is turning pain into profit, and and so it's it's my story, and and it's about how I, you know, I mean, in my twenties, I built a multi million dollar company in spite of all of the drinking and the insanity that I was, you know, putting on myself, and I I, I ended up losing all of that, and and I've lived in Seattle, and I've lived all over the country. I was always running from something. And, you know, I, I obviously know now that it was myself I was running from and, and could not ever outrun myself. But, um, you know, that, that book is about, is about that. And, and I got to tell you, I, I heard, I heard Dr. Hayes talking about, um, prayer and meditation. And, um, when I was, <clears throat> because I was put on a church bus my entire childhood on Sunday mornings, and shipped off to this Pentecostal church. Now, there, there were some really, really good people in that church, but it was very intense, like, very intense. I didn't realize that women didn't wear dresses all the way to their ankles, as, you know, was, that wasn't the norm until later in life. But um, <clears throat> And I, my stepfather was Catholic, so there was just a lot of confusion about God and and, you know, Jesus, and if you don't accept it, you're going to hell, and like, all of this fear. And, and so, you know, when I was about a year sober, a little less than a year, um, I, I dated a very well-known psychotherapist. I won't bring up her name, but she taught me. Um, we actually went to the International Conference on Human Consciousness. I got to hear and meet Dr. John D. Martini and some absolutely amazing people in um, Albuquerque. And <clears throat> that's where I kind of, in that, that period of time, I learned about meditation. And I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. And I'm like, how do you meditate? And what's, what's this all about? And um, and so I, I started meditating 17 plus years ago now, and I, 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 I talk about this quite often. I, I will be late for a meeting before I miss my morning meditation. I meditate every single day of my life, no matter where I am, no matter what we're doing. If I'm traveling, I wake up early so I can meditate before I get to my meetings or whatever. So um, it's the number one most important thing in my life today is meditating. So I, I love what she was when she when she brought that up because I think that it needs to be talked about a lot more. It's a very important point to find a a, uh, a moment of peace 
and then gratitude, which is what I hear quite a bit from people that that, that come on this show, is that they they're they're grateful for the lessons they learned. They're not grateful for what they went through, but they're grateful for the lessons that they learned. Do you find that the case? You know, I I literally just got off of an interview a little bit ago, and 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 the same sort of question was posed to me, and. In that interview, and, and Frank, honestly, I'm I'm grateful for every single thing that I experienced in my life, and the reason is is I you know I do I do have the I'm blessed with with having the opportunity to work with a lot of people. I do one on one coaching and stuff, and I I um, I can. I can empathize. I can re- I can remember at one point I was sent, I was kind of forced to go see a, a counselor, a drug and alcohol addiction counselor. And I remember looking at this woman, bless her heart, because I'm sure I was the biggest jerk that I feel like I was probably the biggest idiot that had ever been in her office. But I looked at her and I said, so have you like, you ever had a problem with drugs or alcohol? And she's like, Oh no, no, no. And I'm like, Oh, well, so how are you qualified then <laughs> to help me? And I can just remember thinking, like, what? You're not like you don't you can't understand what I'm go- what I'm talking about if you haven't experienced it. And so you know, I, when I say I'm grateful, I'm truly grateful because I can relate to a lot of really really bad things. I understand. That's. Uh... There's so many people that will have that feeling, you know, how would you know? You you have no idea what I am, what I'm going through, but they're professionals and they've been trained and they do have an idea and they can be helpful if we allow that to happen. Sure, now, sure. Ken, your, your business is uh, Client Solution Innovations, I believe. What's the goal? What do you do with that company? Well, that um, is something I've done now for you know, the better part of 26 years, which is website development and and marketing. Um, I've been, you know, I've been very blessed to have a a very technical side of my brain. Um, I really, but you know, what I enjoy more than, and I still, we, we do a ton of websites and, and, and marketing. My wife was the global VP of a $500 $500 million company. And so she not understands marketing. Like, and so we, we implement both of those into our business. But what I enjoy more than anything is teaching and, and helping other people. And, and, you know, sometimes that door is open because somebody will call me and say, I need a website and I'll, I'll start talking with them and find out they're experiencing pain in other parts of their life. And I get to help them on both fronts. So, um, it's kind of been a nice little gateway to a lot of things. That's wonderful. That it's so many doors will open for you when you start down this path. And it sounds like from both both the statements that you've both made is once you've accepted the situation, challenged the fear, overcame the fear, life became better. You became more authentic and true to yourself. Dr. Dr. Hayes, is that is that statement correct? Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think one of the things that that I um, like to articulate is when I was through the years of being allergic to alcohol, but still participating, knowing I was allergic. So it's like a person that's allergic to shellfish. You don't judge them. You don't get mad at them. You just wouldn't serve them shellfish because it may kill them. So I like to say in those years of being allergic to alcohol that I gave that 15 years of my life and I refused to give it anymore, you know, and um, been there, done that. Like Ken said, been there, done that, got photos. A lot of them I can't show you. <laughs> A lot of them I don't remember, okay? But um, it's freedom. It's freedom. You know, and it's often like, and I know that a lot of people are listening that have an immediate family member or a husband or a wife that right now is somewhere in the other room or later on today, because your show airs in the morning, that's going to be drinking. And, um, you know, what people want to understand is there's a difference between an ordinary life and extraordinary life. There's a difference between getting by and paving a new way. And so, you know, just like when you say that, uh, when I say that, 
that I'm a vegan, people start telling me what they got to give up. But if I say I like plant protein, they'll go, oh, I kind of like that. So it's when you think about alcoholism in light to, of Ken's great, you know, storytelling, is that people think, well, I've got to give up something. But you want to look at what you can gain. One of the best things, I don't know about you, Ken, but I love not having to call people the, the next day of my life and ask them what happened to me the day before. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. I can actually uh, remember, and it's so exciting, and to not apologize for myself ever again. I'm not saying I don't admit sometimes a wrongdoing or a mistake. I mean, that's the psychology of being a human being, but I don't have to apologize every day uh, because I'm not living in alignment with who I am. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I love that. Beautiful. Ken, any, any final statement you want to make for the listeners? I, I I just second everything that Dr. Hayes just said. Or how about this one? Waking up and looking out to see if your car is there. Um, so, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot um, about that one. <laughs> <laughs> or or waking up having a nightmare that you had an accident and going out and checking your car to make sure you didn't and you know convince that you did. And I've been there so many times and. You know, I, I would just say that, that I think um, the biggest gift that I've been given is is through recovery, through reading a lot, like Dr. Um, Wayne Dyer is one of my favorite authors, and, and, you know, reading about the fear that paralyzed me for so many years. And, and, and it's not like alcoholics in recovery have a, a corner on the market for, for winning over fear. Anybody can win over fear. And, and I've, I've just taken my foot off the brakes of life, and, and I go 100 miles an hour through life now, and I love it. And it's available mm-hmm. for anyone. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as I mentioned, we're just about out of time. I want to thank my guests, Dr. Temple Hayes and Ken Walls. This has really been a, a very enlightening and inspiring discussion. Uh, so thank you both very much. Oh, thank you, Frank, for having thank- us. What a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so uh, much. Every one of us, ladies and gentlemen, have the ability to save so many lives, including our own, by taking action facing our fears. If you'd like more information about my guests, please contact me. I'll make sure it gets to them, and they will get back in touch with you. If you've missed any of this show or any of our other shows, they're now available or will be available later today on on demand at a number of places, now including iHeartRadio, Google, and Alexa, plus my website, franksakari.com. Now, let me leave you with this, as I do every week, ladies and gentlemen. None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Dr. Hayes and Ken Walls showed us where many of those rocks are. Join us again next week for another life-altering event. Thank you for tuning in to Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Cop.